Howdy gamers, it's Layton here from Layton Night, the podcast that you're currently listening to in case you accidentally stumbled upon this, in which case I am sorry, but just wanted to let you know that there is a video version of this episode that is up on our Patreon for all tiers. So if you want to join us over there, depending on the tier, you can get all sorts of cool benefits. We do mini-sodes every week. We do some fun videos. Uh, You get access to our fan discord and overall it's a really lovely time and we would love to have you there. So without any further ado, here is the audio version of this episode. So if you want to do the video version, you can go to patreon.com slash Leighton Night or not. Really whatever floats your boat. Anyway, episode... There were two things we immediately wanted to talk about. Secret Brian connection. Secret Brian connection. (laughs) Let's talk about Weird Al first. Love it. So, Bows are wearing a Weird Al shirt, which is how this came up. Tell me about your Al experience. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to try not to go too in depth, but Weird Al Yankovic is my life force, my lifeblood. Okay. Indeed, the best. I was a child that had every single CD. Like, I would go into FYE and I just had to have them. I don't know why. And it's so weird for me to think about, like, I was listening to like corn slipknot and then weird (laughs) out. Like what a weird kid. And so very important to me. I was shooting something in Seattle a couple months ago and I was like, Oh, I'm just going to enjoy the town. I had a car that I rented and I drove by the theater and it said weird Al, like the 27th and the 28th. And I was like, Uh you have to be kidding me. I pulled over the car. I bought a ticket for like the next (laughs) night. Oh Uh my God. I was so excited. It was like one of his last shows. And um, in the middle of the intermission, I got up and I bought four t-shirts and a hoodie (laughs) and a keychain. I'm just a super fan. Wait, what about you guys? Oh, me too. I did exactly the same thing. I had all the albums and, you know, and this is like his first heyday. So I was, I was born in 75. And so when he like hit, hit with eat it in whenever that was 83, I think yeah, that's when I was like really getting into it when I was like eight. And so I knew for almost every popular song, I knew the Al version before I knew the real version, Yeah, you know, and I would have to be like, wait, like a surgeon. Hmm. What is that based on? <laughs> I lost on Jeopardy like hundred percent. Deep cut. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And so I've been a Weird Al fan forever. I have talk for a minute. I'll be right back. You have to get something. This has <laughs> never happened. Go get I'll be right artifact. back. Wow. Okay. Cause I was gonna say I'll bust out all the hoodies, all the keychains right now, but I already <laughs> talked about them. It's not like you guys were like, you know what? We don't believe you. <laughs> So Brian and his wife, Rachel, had tickets to, I see, I assume the same tour that you saw and Brian was out of town. So I got to take Brian's wife on a date and we got to see him live. And it was just like <laughs> the full circle because the line stretched all the way around the block and it was so many kids. And I felt like I was seeing palette swapped versions of me at eight years old. <laughs> like it was a bunch of little girls like solving Rubik's cubes in two seconds. Oh my God, dude. And I feel like it's a certain type of person, but you would never know. But once you find out somebody's a Weird Al fan, you're like, I see it. Makes I sense. see yeah. it. <laughs> Did you see the movie? No, I haven't seen it yet, but I heard good things. It's very good. And I, okay. yeah, I cried. Okay. 
All right. At the end of it, I really did because I, but I don't know. But I think that's because I'm just such a weird out fanboy. That's very like emotional, sentimental, and his story is so inspiring. Like it's just like a sweetie. I just love that somebody that I grew up watching had a movie made about them and he participated. And it was also very reminiscent of UHF, the style of comedy in that. It was so reminiscent. I loved it. Brian, what do you have? Okay. So (laughs) this is from, let's see, what year is this from? This is from 1985. (gasps) It is the fake Weird Al autobiography. Oh my God. The authorized, I've had this since I was 10. I brought this to, I don't even know how many Weird Al concerts, signed by Al. No. Not only signed by Al, signed by Al and every member of the band. I can feel it. I can feel the power. So later on in the in the book, they do little profiles of the band members. There's Jim West, signed oh Jim God. West. There's Steve J. And he wrote, hi, Brian, thanks for everything, Steve J. Oh, my God. John Bermuda Schwartz. Oh, my God. Right there. And you can't really tell, but his longtime keyboard player, Ruben Valtiera, signed as a little like guy hiding under the bed somewhere over here. And because Ruben was not in the first edition of the band, he signed under there as if that was him. And I also, in this book, have ticket stubs. This is an unused ticket from 1994. <laughs> this is adorable. <laughs> oh my God. Line. I love that you kept it. This is a ripped ticket from 1994 at the bottom line. And this is a ticket from 1999 at the Open Air Theater (laughs) in San Diego. Oh, my God. This is my level of fandom for Weird Al. This is not something I bought on eBay. This is something I bought when I was out in bookstores in the mid-80s as a young child and have kept. I brought this to fucking, I don't even know how many shows Like, I remember at one point hanging out after, this is the only time, literally the only performer I've ever hung out after a show and was like, is there any way I can get him to sign it? And one show I got everybody but Bermuda. And then when I went back in San Diego to that show in 99, I was like, I have to get Bermuda to sign this. What should I do? And there were these two women also hanging out and they're like, we actually, we have backstage access. We'll take it to them. And I was like, okay. And this, this is to make me sound like an old person, which I am, before cell phones. So I just hand these people this book and then I just wait for like 45 minutes for them to like come back. And they did. And they gave it back to me. Those two ladies came through. Whoever they were, I don't know, but I'm something of a Weird Al fan. (laughs) I feel like everyone should be. Did you guys know that Weird Al is one of four artists that have had a Billboard hit every decade for 40 years. Oh, wow. That makes yeah. sense. The only other people that have it are you 2 Madonna, and Michael Jackson. And oh Weird my Al. God. That's it. Wow, that rules. <laughs> That's better than an EGOT, honestly. All artists see as parody. I know. And then even better is he released the movie this year, and I have a I theory saw, yeah. he He's got to have something coming out because then he would be the only artist with 50 years of Billboard hits. Well, you know, they put out an album from the movie. They just put it out. (laughs) They did? Yeah, they did. Yeah. How's it doing? We got to get on the charts. (laughs) (laughs) I bet it. It's got to be. It's got to be. He's got to do it. Oh, my gosh. But we have through my comedy band, you know, we've met him and hung out with him and talked to him. And he's just the absolutely 
the nicest person you have ever met. He was so cool and like it is not the don't meet your heroes thing. It is like, oh my God, this guy is everything I ever could have wanted and could not have been more generous and open and nice and spent like a couple hours just hanging out and chatting and absolutely the best. Cannot say enough great things. And I think every single person you talk to will say the same. You know, Weird Al makes me realize what the kids mean when they say like, you're my comfort YouTuber. Uh (laughs) Weird Al is my comfort human being because in my eyes, I'm like, he can do no wrong. He has Uh inspired me. He has held me. He has given me warmth. He has nursed me. Like, I get it. I get it. Everybody loves him. He transcends all demographics, all ages, all everything Everybody loves Weird Al. Wait, isn't there one famous person who like famously Prince talks shit on him? Okay, thank well, you. No, yes. I, no, I don't know if Prince talks shit. When Al reached out to Prince to do a parody, Prince was like, no, don't do it, which completely tracks with everything you've ever heard about Prince. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you hear about the award show? What happened? Oh, tell me. Oh my God. Okay. It was after that happened. And I think Weird Al had tried again. And then when they were at an awards show, Weird Al was sitting somewhat in the vicinity of Prince. And he had somebody send either a note or a messenger that said, do not talk to Prince. Do not look at Prince. <laughs> 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 and I was like, oh my God, this is great. I think he <laughs> talked about that in an interview and it's, it's just hilarious. That's so funny. The Prince thing reminded me. I have an eight-year-old and we listen to like storytelling things occasionally. And uh, my wife, Rachel, found an episode of This American Life about a safe cracker who, after Prince died, got hired to break into the vault with all of the Prince recordings. And it is an awesome story. Prince has some like super high-end safe, like the hard, you know, hard safe to crack into. And that's where all, you know, whatever, four decades of unreleased music are just sitting there. And it's the kind of thing, like if the guy does it wrong and drills in the wrong spot, some fail safe will like come down. Anyway, like, I don't want to spoil, you know what? Fuck it. I just got to talk about it. (laughs) Do it, do it. The guy gets in and inside there's like an old 80s computer with like like a dot matrix note (laughs) printed out about like Prince had this like, of course, you know, weird cataloging system about how he can use everything. And the guy gets in and that's where I believe the the semi recent what do they call it? Piano and a microphone that just like solo recordings of, of him just playing piano and singing came from because they got into the vault and had access to all these. What? Recordings. That's so interesting. Isn't that cool? Don't you just love little tidbits like that? Just a nice little deeper dive underneath the soil. Yep. Sorry, I'm a weird yeah. guy. <laughs> no, you know, I think we share an affinity for the deep dives and especially like, I don't know. I feel like if you're a curious person, especially if you're like a morbidly curious person, the internet is just like, this is the most beautiful, like, I don't know why my brain's going to charcuterie. I mean, my brain is always on charcuterie, (laughs) but it's like, this is the greatest charcuterie spread of my life. But like the piles of prosciutto are like four hour interrogation videos, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's my meat and potatoes. That's what I'm always doing. (laughs) It's amazing. Like a thing that I wanted to ask you is like, what was your introduction to 
true crime or like do you remember like cases from your childhood or why don't we introduce the show here because that seems like Mm -hmm. a good thing to jump off of after an introduction so everybody this is late night with brian weck my name is brian weck over here we have leighton gray that's me i am so happy and excited to be here today because mystery guest who are you i'm (laughs) bose (laughs) <laughs> that's not, I, I don't know what else to say but that i realized like great. even in that short line it just makes me sound like i'm like hey guys i'm here <laughs> that, then that's just how i feel about life i'm just happy to be here i'm happy to be anywhere but also here uh, like specifically here yes. as well i just want you to yeah. know we're happy to have you what kind of content do you make so i mostly do true crime content but i do a lot of stuff that branches out into dealing with manipulators and narcissists and then sometimes when the world is too heavy and it's got me down i do a little tiktok drama because that drags me down just a little bit right but not too much i would say my channel overall is spectating the human condition <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I yeah. love it. I love it. All right. Now, Layden. Yes. So where did that start for you? Guys. Like just an okay. interest in that kind of stuff. Honestly, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sound weird, but I used to live in Las Vegas. I moved in with this girl that I met on the internet because I've always been a child of the internet. Uh-huh. And um, we're best friends. We were great, but we drank a lot because we had just turned like 21. And there was one night where we had like down this big like handle of vodka. I don't really drink anymore. Um, it's way too much. <laughs> we're wasted. We're arguing about something. We were mad. And then like, we didn't go to work that night. And then somehow we sat down on the couch and we started watching this show called Deadly Women on Discovery ID. And <laughs> we just <laughs> shut the fuck up for six hours. And I remember this night so vividly. We stayed up until 6 a.m. watching this show. It was a show where they would discuss female murderers and there would be three in one 45-minute episode. So, you know, my ADHD was satisfied. My misery was tingling. I was thinking about how (laughs) life could be worse. And, you know, this girl and I, we were both people that grew up in high-stress environments. And over the years, I found that true crime can be soothing for people that grew up in high-stress environments because it's an emulation of your childhood in a way, in a controlled manner. And you can just turn it off after a Mm -hmm. while. And yeah, after that, I was just like, wow, I can watch this stuff and I'm happy. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's like when you grow up like that, your body is so primed for like hypervigilance feels like safety. And so this sounds like such an edgelord thing, but legitimately, like I get sleepy on roller coasters. Like I think given time, I can take a little nap. There's just something about it where I'm like, I'm being tightly held. It's like a weighted (laughs) blanket and I'm just like Uh hurtling around. Oh my God, Layton, let's talk about what happened in your childhood. (laughs) But I mean, it's truly a thing. I don't mean to go off into a weird business tangent, but I was a marketer for 10 years. And like, you know, marketers are always talking about the demographics, like what's the age, what's the, you know, gender, Mm -hmm. but the psychographics of audiences are so interesting because then you pull together these different demographics that are actually united by the psychographic, which could be like addiction to cortisol or, you know, high stress environments from childhood and things like that. And I've cultivated this really diverse audience. It's so cool. Like I do live shows and seeing them in person is just like, it's amazing to me. It's so fun. Who shows up? Who's your audience that shows up? Oh man, there's men, there's women. 
The age ranges are so diverse. I see people that are like in their 40s. Girls show up with their moms to the show and like they're not dragging their moms. Their moms are like excited. They're activated. You know, I see a lot of black girls at my audience, which is really exciting for me because when I was growing up, I didn't have a black female kind of like person to look up to and to Mm -hmm. see like so many come out to the shows. I'm like, oh my God, I'm the person that I didn't have (laughs) (laughs) back then. And it's so interesting. It is so interesting. I love it. That's great. It makes me happy. I love it. I remember when we were doing Witching Hour, you were nervous about doing your show. So did you start doing them after that? Yes, Leighton, I forgot. Yeah, you were there for my first ever like live stage show. Oh my God. Okay. Because I know how nervous you were and I was just like fucking (laughs) blown away by your stage presence. Like all of us were literally like standing behind the curtain, like jaws on the floor. Like you fucking owned it. It was so good. Well, let me tell you about my childhood trauma adaptation. And you know what? I find this is probably in a lot of content creators. And I don't know about you guys, but like when I was growing up, I did like theater and different things like that. But I would always get so anxious before. But the thing that calmed me was switching into performer mode. And Mm -hmm. so what you saw prior, Leighton, is just me, just an anxious, like ADHD mess. It's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to talk about? (laughs) But then when I'm on stage, I'm very activated because it's the only place where I kind of forced this confidence through. And over the years, it's definitely kind of bloomed. Do you guys ever feel that way about your work? Oh my God. I I call it like going into a fugue state, like to the point that my (laughs) therapist is like, you go into a mode. I'm fully pretending in the moment this stops, I am going to collapse into a a little puddle. What happened for me, I mean, I grew up, I was very introverted, like very introverted as a kid. And at some point I just decided to pretend to be an extrovert. (laughs) And the thing that shocks me and shocked me is that that became true eventually. So I went from like being very anxious and kind of nervous about things, never wanting to talk to anybody to one day in like probably eighth, ninth grade being like, you know what? I'm going to flip this around and just pretend I'm an extrovert. And then I actually became one and essentially really had a big personality shift somewhere around my mid teens because I decided to put this thing on and then it legitimately stopped being an act. Yeah. Performer mode, it's like, honestly, it's like a trauma adaptation, (laughs) but like, it's actually really, really dope. Like it's gotten me through a lot of stuff. It's gotten, you know, all of us to kind of where we are. Yep. And yeah, Layton to like answer your question. So I had actually planned some live shows prior to that. And it was just crazy that Witching Hour reached out. And so after that, I went on to do Los Angeles. I did two shows in Los Angeles. I did one in New York. And um, these weren't really like profitable because I don't have an agent or manager. I just kind of do all my stuff myself. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't good at like pulling strings to like make it profitable. I flew out on my own dime, hotel on my own dime, but it was... So fun. Like what an experience. Like, have you guys done any live podcasts with this or? This podcast actually started as a live show. Because originally we were going to do it and we did it as a a live talk show. And then (laughs) had we actually thought through it, this would have been obvious, but it wasn't. It's like, well, no one's going to come if they don't know what the fuck this is. You know, so we, we, we got people to show up. So we did one show, got a great attendance. And then we did a second show and it was a much less attendance. It was like, oh, well, people came once and now it's like, 
what is this thing and why are we doing it again? And then it was COVID and we had actually already decided to start it as a podcast. Yeah. And then it was like, we had our third show scheduled, which we were about to cancel because of low attendance and low ticket sales. And then it was like, oh no, COVID. Okay. I guess we have to cancel it anyway. We were legitimately like a day away from canceling it and then had to cancel it because of the the pandemic. But yeah, so we started as a talk show. And then since the podcast started, which immediately reached way more people and did a lot better than any live show would have, then we just have been a podcast ever since and have not done any live shows since that. Personally, I'm dying to do live shows again because I miss miss the fugue state (laughs) of of going into (laughs) it. Because then afterwards, I'm like, oh, I did it. I'm not a piece of shit. I mean, I'm a piece of shit, but I'm less of a piece of shit. (laughs) Well, but this exists because of the Dream Daddy panel you did, which I came to to see, which was part of a bunch of our friends uh, from Game Grumps, uh, Dream Daddy type people. And you were so great at it, Layton. When I was thinking about, hey, I'd like to do like a talk show thing. I was like, well, Layton was rad on stage. Thanks. I was very drunk that night. I also felt the same way about her. So I understand that. Yes. She's the best. You know, speaking of that, the uh, ticket thing, can I tell you guys a little story? Of course. So it starts off in a really interesting place where in 2018, I was working at a YouTube company called Smosh. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Smosh. Of course. We've had Smosh games people on. Yeah. Yes. So I was in Smosh games. Great time. Super, super fun. One day I'm literally on a live stream playing Fortnite when we get an email that says company-wide meeting in 15 minutes and I have to keep playing the game, but some other people hop on the call and we all lost our jobs. (laughs) That's when I was on a live stream playing Fortnite when we found out that the warehouse was shutting down and we were all going to be let go. Uh, Nightmare, right? Yeah. So I have no experience. I was in Smosh games. I didn't go to college. Like I'm screwed. Okay. I'm out in LA. I got to find a job really fast. So I started applying. I had like a lot of experience with marketing. I ended up working at this law firm pretty quickly. It sucked. They weren't paying me well. I was trying to get out and I get this other job and it's in like ticket sales. And, um, I start working there and I guess I didn't know this at the time. There was, there was these two girls there that they were trying to prove that the company needed them. So the day that I got hired, they went on vacation. (laughs) Oh no. Oh fuck. Yeah. So they trained me for literally a day and then they were just gone. That was it. Oh my God. This was at Live Nation. I had never done anything in ticket sales in my life. Like I'm working in this department and one of the bookers comes through and she's like, Hey, Bose, um, we need you to like sell the show. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you got it, sister. <laughs> that's, that's what I do. Yeah, I'm like, and you know, I have to be confident because I had a nice little resume and they're like, you did YouTube stuff. Like you should know internet, social media, like market this stuff. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. So they give me this show and it's in Chicago and it's a 12,000 capacity room. Oh my God. Yeah. They're like, it's just one show. You should be fine. And I was like, I was like, I need to set up ads for this show. I need to do all this stuff. I'm like freaking out. So the show goes on pre-sale and I get into the office the next day and they're like, wow, great job, Bose. 4,000 tickets sold. And I'm like, oh my God. And then like the next day they're like, okay, great. 8,000 tickets sold. And I'm like, yeah, guys. Hell yeah. Like, the, like yeah. this is great. And they're like, yeah, Ninja Sex Party usually sells pretty well. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it's oh, your wow. fucking show. Oh my Brian. god! What? <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, that was so that was our tenth anniversary show. Yes, that was your tenth anniversary show. Wait, wait, it was wait. in so, Chicago. So I you... was the marketer. <laughs> oh my god! Really? That's awesome. Yes. I can't believe this. I couldn't yeah. have guessed in a million years. That's where that <laughs> no, was me going. neither. And I knew you were gonna say so. You we had some connection. <laughs> So you got thrown into the deep end. I got thrown into the deep end. They were like, hey, you just need to make uh, some dark posts through Ninja Sex Party's page. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we got it. And I actually, because you guys had such a big YouTube presence, I knew how to like pull the data list and do all this stuff. But I was like Googling a lot of like, do, like doing it. And like I set it uh-huh. up. They had like, I don't know, like 70,000 clicks and you guys were promoting really well. And so like, Thank you for um, making everyone think that I was insanely good at my job. Well, thank you for for doing it. Like, yeah, it's, you know, they- yeah, that's really funny. You know, and it's so weird from our end. We don't know what the fuck is going on. Like, we're just like, okay, tickets are on sale. We have no idea what was happening for the stuff you were seeing. Like, the only thing that it had in common with what we were seeing is we could see, like, the uh, venue and what sections were, you know, had tickets left and that sort of stuff. But I can't even imagine what you could see that we couldn't see. Oh, yeah, it was a lot. And actually, the funny thing about it was for the longest time, I was like, wow, what a fluke. Like, I mean, you guys' social media presence like sold a whole lot. But when we compared it to the way that other marketers were doing it later, I was the only one that had a social media background. So um, they were sending out like email newsletters and things like that (laughs) previously on other shows which like, you know, how much of an impact is that going to make? I was like the right. first person to run like Twitter, like ads oh and like God. Facebook ads and stuff like that. So you guys gave me a lot to work with. <laughs> well, you know what? That makes me personally feel especially good because I do all the NSP social. So that was literally 100% me <laughs> running that stuff and doing the campaigns and like trying to figure out the messaging and the videos and all that. And the messaging is butt sex. Yeah, yes, basically. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then I would go on in the back end and like promote your tweets. So like, that was me, Brian. That was oh your boy. Oh my God, Bones. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. That's my funny little story for you. Well, so how long were you at Live Nation? You know what's funny? I quit a month right before COVID. The premonition. Yeah. So you were there like a year. Yeah. I got into podcasting and I just like switched up. And then I was like, I'm going to try to do Twitch and podcasting full time. And like, it ultimately worked out. So. Yeah. Wow. COVID for, you know, obviously a giant global tragedy, right? You know, huge body count, but it did enable people to make radical and sometimes much needed shifts in their lives. So I I know a number of friends who are like, fuck this, I'm out. I'm going to try something totally different. Yeah. And whose lives... Because of that, I got to make a change impetus that the pandemic had actually finally gave them a reason to do something different. And for most of my friends I know who tried different stuff, it really has been a good thing. Like it really has worked out. Yeah, we're always scared to try new things. There has to be something that shakes you out of your comfort. Yes, yeah. That's right. And what is better to shake you out of your comfort zone than a massive global tragedy? Massive historic right. tragedy. Yeah. Well, that makes you reevaluate your priorities and be like, okay, now's the time. Let's do it. Yeah. So Susie, who hosted The Witching Hour, when I go to her place, sometimes we really like watching your videos. Um, so <laughs> yeah, we just hang out 
And they're the best. But I asked Susie if there was anything she wanted me to ask you. And she brought up a great question of like, do you have any psychology background or like, have you had an interest in it for a long time? Because I feel like your insight and analysis on stuff and especially the way people's brains work, I think is just like really, really great and not the kind of thing you would typically get from a lot of these types of videos that other people make. Yeah, I well, first of all, my question is, how come you guys never call me? I'm here. <laughs> do you do you live in LA now? Yeah. Why are we not hanging out, dude? I'm literally just chilling. Like, come over. I'll make sushi. I do sushi nights all the time by myself. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. Susie is gonna be like so fucking stoked. She she like <laughs> <laughs> she thinks you are so cool, and so do I. And it's true. Oh my all gosh, right. that's so funny. Okay, as far as my background goes, no. I'm literally the type of psycho that will throw on a psych video for hours and just listen and listen and listen. God, I have a myriad of books just like in my closet. I'm not somebody that's ever been into fiction. I've been very into nonfiction. And I talk a lot about trauma adaptations. I think what my trauma adaptation is, just to be straight up, is in my life, I've had a lot of people that have hurt me or I've had um, severe bouts of public humiliation when I was a child. And I think the way that sometimes people try to combat that is by knowing your enemy, in which case that could be people. And so to have a greater understanding of people can be a massive trauma adaptation. And I probably have looked into this stuff more feverishly than... (laughs) Then I should, you know, but, and I think honestly, the biggest thing that I bring to the table when I talk about it is I've been in therapy for over 10 years with different therapies. I've done different types. There's dialect behavioral therapy, which it depends who you are. Like if it works, I benefit more from like cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. That's the general talk therapy that you have. Um, I've Mm -hmm. done somatic body therapy. I've done so many different types. I'm very interested in trauma and trauma processing. And okay, this is going to make me sound like a crazy person, but um, I had a friend that opened up to me about like a binge eating disorder. And I'll ask a million questions because I want to be there to support them. And it's not something that I've been through or I understand. And so then if I have another really close friend that's been through it, I've asked them, can I ask you some questions about this? And then when I see the crossover between these things, which is something I've been doing for years, I get a lot of information about things that I haven't even firsthand experienced. Uh-huh. So I hope that makes sense. I read a lot. I've totally. gone through my own therapy. I source from people that have been through it. Yeah, I feel like when you have a certain constellation of trauma and mental illness, it becomes really easy to find those other people. And I find that like a lot of friends have parallel issues where we share like, here's the thing that I'm fixated on. And then the other person's like, okay, that, that's your brainworms though. Like that's very silly. And then they tell me about their brainworms and I'm like, but that's silly. <laughs> in, in, in affectionate and loving, uh-huh. like yeah. we both see that the thing that we're freaking out about is just like connected to our deeper issues. And those kinds of things where like you say your anxiety thoughts and they just sound like so out there once they're coming out of your mouth. But when they're in here. They make the most, the world of sense. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's just logic. Right. I mean, yeah. it, it, it makes total sense. How could anyone see anything differently? You're just starting yeah. at point A and getting to point B. Yeah. This thing happened. And point B is I hate myself and I deserve this. Like, yes. Those, That's right. those anxious thoughts. Leighton, what you were saying about like the constellation of mental illness. 
What I found was so fascinating. So interesting to me. Like, you know, I said, I source a lot of things from different friends. I am surrounded by people with OCD. Me too. Me too. I have no inkling of OCD. None at all. Brian, do you have any OCD or any? Make any? Nope. I, I've got none at all. And I mean, whoa, it's in all of my close friend circles. And I was like, how is this possible? And I, we've been public about this. My boyfriend has very intense OCD. He's very like list makey, very organized, very like swirling thoughts, very perfectionistic. Wait, maybe I do have OCD. Cause uh, <laughs> that's ah, like, are you a list maker? Mild list maker. Do you constantly have to complete tasks? And when the tasks don't get done, do you question everything? <laughs> uh, maybe a little, mm. not a lot, but there's definitely an element of that. And it's worth saying, and I know that you know this, but there's a variety of different types of OCD. You've got your Mm -hmm. pure O's, you have contamination OCD. Like there's so many different directions that it can go. And I think a lot of people kind of go straight to the sort of like media archetype of OCD. So like, I don't know, if you're listening to this, there are a bunch of different like forms that it can take. And a lot of times it can masquerade as just straight anxiety. And, you know, it doesn't always have to have an attached compulsion. Sometimes the compulsion is like a mental thing. Okay. I should look into this. And I, I found OCD is extremely linked to like a lot of like eating disorders. Like I have like one friend where she has more pure O with it. If she knows that there's like cookies in the cupboard, like she'll just constantly think about the cookies, you know, like Mm. nonstop. And Mm -hmm. I don't have this issue. And so I'm like, oh my God, what is this? Like, tell me more. And it's so fascinating. And I find that all of my friends speak so freely on this because they want help. It's inhibiting them and they don't know where to start. OCD, I feel like has been almost destroyed by the media archetype of Mm -hmm. what people think it is. Cleaning and organization when it's just so much deeper than that. It could be bad thoughts about yourself that are like swirling. Yeah, it's very complicated. Um, Fuck, I could go on and on about that. What were we talking about? How did I get there? Trauma, mental illness, whatever. The shit that I'd spend all my time talking about. Yeah, we're, oh, we're surrounded by OCD people. Yeah, Yeah. it's so interesting. And I have none of that. I have, which is interesting. I have more ADHD and like PTSD. And PTSD is like a much more emotion-driven kind of disorder. And then we find my boyfriend who is very into lists, tasks get it done, logical, like left or right, like right or wrong, yes or no. And it's very fascinating how we come together and complement each other. I love it. Yeah. And there's something about like, especially with trauma and growing up in it, I think A, being a child of the internet, being a teenager online and being able to talk to other like teens was, you know, a big first step in like figuring out my brain stuff. But I think there's also sort of like, getting into adulthood and kind of being able to dish with other people who had similar experiences where the mm-hmm. further you away you get from childhood stuff, the more you have perspective and the more you have people who like, there's just something about being an independent adult and not being in the original situation anymore and being able to connect with other people who got out of the original situation is like very, very, very healing. Yeah. I agree with that so heavy, but then there's also something that I'm really concerned about that I see that happens all the time on social media. And it's like, you'll notice, Leighton, I talk all day about different symptoms, different traumas, different things, but I'm never like putting a label on it straight up because I'm a big believer in, you know, there's a hundred different disorders. Taking the features of the disorders and treating the symptoms as they come 
rather than what I see happening on social media now, which is people assigning a disorder to themselves at 20, mm-hmm. and then it becomes their entire identity. The excessive pathologizing of TikToks oh. of like, you know, if you do these things, you're ADHD. And it's like, this is not useful, especially because so many, you know, mental illnesses and personality disorders have symptoms that are similar or like things that can Mm -hmm. masquerade as something else. So many times like complex trauma comes out with symptoms that seem like other things. And like, if you're not treating the trauma, like that's not going to fix your issue. And misdiagnoses are so common anyway, (sighs) that to have like a 16 year old on TikTok who makes their thing, their entire identity, it's like not constructive for them or for any of the people who would be influenced by it. I think that sometimes getting a diagnosis, especially later in life, like if somebody gets diagnosed with bipolar at like 30, it gives so much explanation and they probably get a sense of relief of understanding, okay, that's why all of these things happen. But when you're 16 and you're saying like, I'm bipolar comorbid with ADHD and uh, comorbid with borderline personality disorder and da, 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 da. And then they decide that this trifecta is their personality. Then what happens is the child gets attached to that personality and they don't want to leave it. They almost don't want to treat it because it's their identity. And now let's say you're getting thousands yeah. of likes on TikTok because of this identity. Well, you're no longer going to treat the features because you feel like you're going to lose a part of yourself. When in reality, the reason that we diagnose is to try to get better. And I am so concerned about that. (laughs) I mean, what can we do? What can we do? I think a big manifestation of it is the healthcare system in this country is so whack. And a lot of these kids, especially like, (laughs) don't don't have insurance or money to go and actually get a diagnosis. So they feel like powerless of, I know there's something wrong with me. I don't know what it is. So it's easy for me to go to like an internet influencer charlatan and get all of my ideas. To a degree, getting a diagnosis is a privilege, but I'm fascinated by the Munchausen's by internet people. (laughs) I don't want to get too deep into it, but that is fascinating to me. It's really changing the the scope of the internet. And like, I've been working on this project for a while. Like all the money that I've made from like YouTube and Twitch, I'm always a big person on reinvesting into your business. Mm-hmm. And um, Leighton, you've seen my thing. I cover a bunch of cases where people are literally killing each other because they're emotionally dysregulated or unprocessed trauma, or they reach this boiling point of anger and that anger turns into violence. And I always say this, there's always an emotion that's underneath anger. Anger is like our guard that keeps us from feeling vulnerable or lonely or anything. And I'm a big proponent of like, when you find anger, you should mine it and see what's underneath it, you know? And so what I've been working on is I feel like in any industry, if you kind of get popular or you get more power in it, you have a unique bird's eye perspective on a pocket of society. And it is your responsibility to do something about that pocket that you're able to look at. And my pocket is true crime. And so I've been working to put together this app to help children understand emotional granularity. Hmm. And I hired on a team of psychologists. We just got the fourth psychologist consultor on. We've got the app developers. I hired this insane marketing firm um, to do everything for us from like motto to like even naming the company. And the goal behind it is we have so many emotions on a, a weekly basis. I feel like most people say that their emotions are happy, mad, and sad. But there's so many more, like vulnerable. The destruction that we cause when we feel vulnerable is insane. When you feel creative or inspired, you're not just happy. There's something to do with that energy, like to create, you know? And I feel like 
kids don't have the tools to understand this. So we're working on building something to teach people self-reliant skills that hopefully they can carry it with them on into later in life. And I'm like, dude, if I can just get one person from killing somebody, that is my (laughs) life's mission. Like that's all I care about. So I'm just sitting here like a mad scientist the past couple of weeks, like connecting the app people. And then here are the psychologists and like, here's this, da, 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 da. And we're hoping to launch by May of next year. So wish me luck. What a cool idea. Good luck. I love that idea. That's really great. And especially, you know, I'm being someone that is raising a child. It is very interesting to watch her deal with these emotions and try to figure out what she is feeling and, you know, to talk her through it and, you know, try to figure it out. It, it's a hard thing to yeah. to do because really little kids have zero control over their emotions. But yes. at the age my daughter is, which is eight, is when they start to become pretty self-aware. And, you know, an eight-year-old can talk about how they feel very intelligently, but they don't necessarily have the tools. So I love the idea of something like this. Yeah. Because like for me, if I as a parent can look at something and see that Susie's been sad for 14 days, I'm going to do something about it. And what the family therapists have told me is the biggest problem is they get into these situations where they're meeting with the kid, they're meeting with the parent and the kid has all of these emotions, but the parent doesn't want to admit that they don't fully know how to parent through their own trauma. And that's normal. I'm not mad at the parents either, but they need help And so if this app can even give you like, here's a couple of small questions to like ask your kid to make them feel like they matter. Yeah, there's a whole lot to it, like spinning the emotion wheel and like picking something to see how you feel. So it's interactive. And yeah, I'm very excited about it. Layton, you know, I care a lot about this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, I I have a question. I I don't want to derail into this, but just a a quick question. How old were you two when you remember first like, Real capital D drama with friends. Ooh, drama. Okay. Uh, Seven? Yeah, I was going to say like six. For us, it started to come out around seven, eight. Yeah. Like this person says they're not friends with me anymore and they only want to play with that person and that kind of like, wait, aren't we all just happy kids? No. No. That's like the dream, right? And like, Leighton, when you think about like your kind of situation that it brought you back to, was it like, you know, somebody said something like mean to you and you could feel like, whoa, I feel bad about this and I don't really know why or what to do with it. Like, that's great that like she can talk to you, Brian. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we. I mean, we try to be very communicative about that stuff and supportive. The thing, being a parent, it's always the line of like, how much do you get involved? because you want to teach self-reliance, but also nobody is hurting my kid, you know, if I can stop it. But I'm always reluctant to get too deeply involved in this thing, you know, kind of social stuff, unless I'm needed, right? So my instinct is like, you know, well, I'm going to let the kids try to work it out themselves. And then if a parent needs to come in and like put the kibosh on something, then we can do that. Without getting involved, you can still talk to her about how she's feeling and like, you know, empower her to make positive decisions and stuff like that. I mean, just the fact of like having a safe home base to come back to, i.e. you and Rachel, like that is a very central, important thing of if that feels safe, then that empowers them to go out and do stuff and come back. Then things get disorganized when they do not have that. That's right. Well, the other really big thing too is you have a trust in her to sort out her emotions, which then gives her an opportunity to trust herself. Like when the biggest figures in her life trust her, 
she's going to trust herself. But then sometimes you have those parents that are like, you don't know what you're doing. Tell me everything. Then the child doesn't trust themselves. And that's where self-reliance really falls short in the beginning. That's right. And, And, you know, you don't know what all the other kids' home situations are. And obviously it's none of my business necessarily, but when you're doing bullshit to my daughter, then the most we can say really, unless there's like a real threat or something, some really, really problematic shit going on, it's just like, you know what? Don't play with that person. Yeah. Find another kid to hang out with. But of course, easier said than done, especially at a small school. You know what else is crazy too? When like, you know, you sound like a great parent, Brian. When when you've well, put you, all I the am. building blocks together. <laughs> <and> like, <laughs> when you put all the building blocks together, everything's going great. You're like, wow, I'm really raising this great kid. And then you send him off into the world oh, and then God. somebody in the exterior just kicks down the building blocks you've set up. It's like, dude, what the fuck? Well, and we can see this thing happening too. You know, I I feel like parenting is, a lot of it is you can see the problem coming on the horizon and your kid's not going to listen to you no matter how many times you say, look, that girl you're playing with, she's been pulling some shit and she's going to turn on a dime and make you miserable. And A, do you even say that? which maybe you do, maybe you don't. And I think it depends on the age and the kid and a million other things. But a lot of it is basically watching your kid self-own because they wouldn't (laughs) listen to you about the problems that were extremely obvious. What I say to Audrey, kind of as a joke, but kind of not frequently, is like, she's like, how come you're so much better at this video game? I'm like, well, honey, I'm 40 years older than you are, you know? Like I have a lot more experience with this shit, you know, also you're eight. So you're a, you're a child and B I've been on this earth for <laughs> 40 more years than you. So I think it makes sense that I'm better at something. You're like, there's a lot know? of things that I'm better at and I'm going to continue to be better at. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> and then one day you will also get there and then you will be better than me at stuff. And she is better than me at many things. I think she should be better than me then. But yeah, I, so much of parenting is like, well, they're not going to fucking listen to me anyway. So you know what? I'm going to let them learn this lesson on their own. And, you know, as long as it doesn't seem like, you know, they're not falling out of a, you know, 10 story building or something like you have to learn the hard way. Otherwise it doesn't sink in sometimes. For the most part, the best experience of self-reliance is experience. Like we don't want them to, you know, literally fall out of a tree, like physical experience. We don't need that. But the emotional, you know, they don't believe us otherwise. I say this like I'm a parent. They don't believe No, but (laughs) they don't, but they don't. Look, I realize she's only eight right now. Once she becomes a teenager, it's going to be like a totally different story. But already there's a lot of like, what the fuck do you know, old man? Dude. (laughs) And you know what? I'm thinking about how like late and I don't know if you had this experience too, like when your parent didn't like one of your friends and you're like, why? They just don't know her. But now in retrospect, I'm like, oh, my mother or dad has met enough liars and manipulators and had a shitty home life (laughs) that they can detect it early, but they can explain all of that to me. They just like, tell me, hey, bad idea. Yeah. She's playing with the kid right now and I've got got this kid pegged and I know it's going to go south and I can't really say anything except, you know, honey, just like, you know, be nice. But remember, A, remember your history with this kid who wasn't always so nice to you. And (laughs) B, if if you ever need to talk about this child, we're here for you. But the pain is coming and I see it and it's probably not that far away. (laughs) What can I do except, like you said, provide a supportive and nurturing environment for her to live in? 
What I was going to say before is my number one way to annoy my daughter is she'll be like, you know, daddy, can I have a treat? And I'll be like, you know what, Audrey? Yes, you can. And the treat is a warm and loving home environment in which to grow up. It's the ultimate thing any child could wish for. And she gets so, no, I want ice cream. You know, it is, it's my go-to like way to bother her, which I think is funny and true. But I love this conversation. And it's so funny to me because like, I don't even have kids and I'm sitting here just eating up a conversation about parenting. But it's also because like what I'm working on now, I'm like, yes, yeah. we can fix these things. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask more true crime questions. So you like interrogations and courtroom stuff. And I love your like courtroom watch along things. What do you think are the craziest or like favorite trial moments? Because I think especially in the past year, we have gotten some buck wild ones. (laughs) Well, I think that the court cases that make the best ones are always when you have a really passionate prosecutor or if you're rooting for the defense team. I mean, that's what I care about the most. One of my first videos that took off was this video called She Dumped the Baby Where, where the attorney was like clearly a mom or something. And she was prosecuting this woman named Jessica Groves and her boyfriend for murdering their baby. It was so obvious, like abusing the baby over time and murdering it. And it was like, this woman was like, how could you do that to a child? And the ferociousness, the passion, the seeking of justice. I was like, oh, I am into this. Like (laughs) I was all about it. And I mentioned this before, like I've said, this is like another psychographic. People that have been through bouts of extreme public humiliation have a thirst for justice. They do. And so that's what really got me into it. Well, you you said like over the year, but we've watched a lot of like trials over the past decade. Some of the most fascinating ones to me were James Holmes. I actually haven't done a video on that one. I probably should go back and do it. The work that they did to show the fear in that room and the meticulous planning that James Holmes went through, it was immaculate. They did a really great job and very powerful statements. Totally recommend that. Maybe I should do a video on it soon. Was this the the Aurora thing? Yes. Is that what that was? Okay, got it. I have not seen that trial. Dude, the opening statements on that, they were set to put that motherfucker away. And I'm here for it. Like 10 minutes in, I said, oh, they might put him in general population. Shit, I don't know. (laughs) That was a good one. And then another really shocking one, these are all ones I haven't done in videos yet, was, oh, Layton, are you ready for this one? (laughs) Hit me. The Michael Jackson trial of his death, where they had the doctor on trial trying oh, yeah. to say that he killed Michael Jackson. Didn't they get uh, Werner Spitz to testify in that one? I might be making that up, but he's the guy who's like the fucking forensic pathologist who has worked on like every I'm not major. sure. Dude, you're more well-read than me in that <laughs> case then because I would have to check that out because that sounds, I hate to say tasty, but this stuff, I just love seeing justice. Did you ever see There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane, the documentary? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. He's in that. He's the guy that the family calls to tell them that she's not an alcoholic. And he's like, no, she clearly was an alcoholic. I'm the top forensic pathologist in the world. And they're like, no, she wasn't. Yeah, because they're like, what? Three drinks five times a week? She's not an alcoholic. But that case was mind-blowing because, you know, there's a part of society that thinks like, oh, they killed Michael. You know, the media killed Michael. They wanted to blame the doctor. Um, And I'm sure a lot of people kind of like felt that way or like, oh, Michael overdosed. But 
when they break down the sheer volume of drugs that that doctor was giving Michael, it is insane. I have to do that one. You just prompted two new videos oh, for me, dude. Oh, I can't wait. It's just crazy. And I just, I love seeing good legal work. I love seeing passion. It's like a combination. Good legal work, passion, and I don't know, fuck. What's something that sounds like good? <laughs> uh, rigor? Rigor, like hard work, like Boom. they care. Obviously, I get really passionate about this stuff too. K- Casey Anthony, the prosecution team that was trying to put Casey Anthony away. Fucking Jose Baez. They thought it was an open and shut case. They were like, oh, you know, the mother said it smelled like a dead baby in the car. Oh, we got these Google searches for suffocation. They were like, good, Casey's going away. They didn't expect Jose Baez, which was a highly manipulative lawyer, to just come in and derail the whole trial. So they had an airtight case and they didn't put the rigor into it. Mm. (sighs) Yeah, that case is especially (sighs) formative one from my childhood because my mom was obsessed with it. Always had Nancy Grace on, but like Jose Baez, I I love in your video watching him where it's like, God damn it, you're doing such a good job. You're just (laughs) on the wrong team. (laughs) Have you read his book? I have not, I haven't, but have you read it? Is it good? You get the exact same feeling as watching him work or it's like, damn it, you're good. And I just, I hate you. But I also, in terms of another one that's very iconic for me, in terms of the prosecutor going the fuck off, the Juan Martinez in the Jodi Arias trial with the gas cans. Oh my God. And I know that later he like got outed for being a piece of shit. And it kind of reads a little bit when you see like the way that he talks to her. But (laughs) God, it's cathartic to watch her try to do her little job. Yeah. You know what? If Jody was free right now, I would be so fucking pissed. Brian, you honestly, I highly suggest if you ever get bored, check out Juan Martinez as a prosecutor. Okay. It will make you want to see more court there cases. There are like highlight clips of it. Because he's very theatrical and... <laughs> wait, wait. Sorry. Just to be clear... Pro Juan Martinez or anti? Pro Juan Martinez. Okay, got it. Pro Juan Martinez. He also wrote an amazing book. His book is very good. And he explains all of the work that went into that gas can smackdown. Like all the math that they did, (laughs) it it all built up to that point where he's going at her. He's a careful prosecutor and fun to watch. Is that what I'm hearing? He's no bullshit. He will not take it because Jody is such a wormy like you watch all of her interrogations Mm -hmm. and she's on the stand so much she loves hearing herself talk she's clearly like a seasoned manipulator and she's used to people not calling her on her shit because she's like pretty and well spoken and can get away with it and then Juan is not having it not having oh (laughs) ma'am ma'am did I ask (laughs) answer the question there is truly truly nothing better than someone confronting a serial liar manipulator with like this, then this, then this, then this, then this, and just backing them into a logic cage. Oh, yeah. And then they're fucked. You would like it. I'll I'll send you some Juan Martinez clips. And you know what? Another video that stands out in my mind from you, and I can't remember the name of the kid from the video, but it's the one where the mom is like trying to manipulate the kid to come Mm. out of his car. Yeah. Narcissistic mom loses it when son refuses to come home. I title my videos too. And sometimes when I'm writing this, I'm like, ooh, this is a banger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That one I think was one of my first videos of yours that I'd watched and I watched it with Susie. And I thought your breakdown of that was so insightful because it's such familiar behavior to me too, where it's like when you have that sort of experience in the back of your mind, where it's just Mm -hmm. so obvious, like that lady's 
sickly sweet threatening tone of voice. I was yeah. like, oh boy, that's yep. taking me back. Yes. Honestly, even you just saying that, I felt a little cold wash over my body because like <laughs> we all really get taken back. And I think it's just so important because these people still walk among us every yes. day. And um, they, they make you doubt yourself. And Absolutely. for people that like, and Brian, we were talking about this before with the kids. If you have a kid that doesn't trust themselves and then they meet one of these people, it is a recipe for disaster because 100%. they will twist and turn them any way that they go. And that's why I do what I do. Like, I'm not just like spectating true crime or spectating, you know, people, you know, catch these worms and something. I am trying to give people the tools that I didn't have growing up because I have gotten caught up with so many liars, so many manipulators, and I followed them into the dark. And like we said, the best thing that you can do sometimes is go through the experience. And I was going through these experiences up until I was 25, 26, and I just woke up and I was like, no more. And I see through it so much more clearly now. And it is my work. It is my mission. It is my passion to help everyone else wake up a little bit. And that's why I do what I do. And I'm not going to stop. That's a great reason for it. (laughs) You know, something with Audrey, we try to teach her is trust the little voice inside, Mm. right? If something seems off, it probably is. And you know what? If it's not, and you get out of there, okay, you got out of a situation and maybe it wouldn't have gone bad. Who cares? Like, I'd rather err on the side of being careful and her trusting herself than, oh, it's probably going to be fine. You know, like, so this is something we, we emphasize over and over is if you feel weird, get out. Yeah. If I was within reaching distance of my bookcase over there, I would immediately grab Gavin DeBecker's book of fear and throw it at the camera. And then that would be the end of the episode. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Everybody, the gift of fear. It's a fucking great book, and it's about that specific thing. Dude, I got to bring Leighton on as my resident book expert. <laughs> I cannot read to save my life. My ADHD is too bad. Leighton reads more than anyone I have ever met. Wow. And her speed and volume, no pun intended, is remarkable. Thank you. You read, what, like 100 books a year or something like that? I passed 55 this year, but last year was 89. But I credit that to like two separate hypomanic episodes where like regular I read fast, but during uh, it's it's truly bananas. I mean, how how quickly what you can get through. Talk about coping mechanisms, about fucking dissociating and escaping into uh, uh, books. You know, I would say that there are some trauma adaptations that turn into a coping mechanism that is honestly great. It's a it's a good one. Like, you know, the performer (laughs) one we have. Yeah. It's a good one. Intellectualizing, which just makes things where it's like, okay, I know a lot of things and I can just break this down logically so I don't have to feel anything. And then there's the humor (laughs) coping mechanism. Yes. I like literally in therapy right now, I'm trying to figure out like, where's the line between how much humor is in genuine expression of the self? And like, when is it up front? Like, when am I using this as a weapon? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's when is humor performance mode and when is it relief? And also when is it just me being me, right? There's actually like three phases of it. Could be four. Yeah, I figured out like, I have a lot of uh, repressed anger. Mind that anger, Leighton. There's some good <laughs> stuff down there. Oh, totally. But it's it's like I realized that when I am really angry and trying not to feel it, 
I will like rapid fire, very like acerbic, like mean jokes and not towards anybody. But Mm. when I'm talking about myself or what I'm doing, like there's a certain tone that comes out that lately I've been able to be like, oh, I'm like angry. And the only way I can sublimate this is by making jokes about it. So, you know, that's the that's the relief. You know, some people when they're angry, they go and they exercise a whole lot. Some people when they're angry, some people will like binge eat and then translate that energetic anger into anger at themselves for doing this thing. I mean, there's so much that we do with anger because we don't understand it in the moment. We just have to get rid of it. But if we can understand it and then backtrack and say, oh my God, this is why this is happening and then find healthy expressions of anger, which so many of us are never taught. We're not taught to identify our anger. We're not taught to embrace it. We're not taught to have healthy expressions of it. Or to feel it in your body. Yeah. What a nightmare. Like, what are we doing? (laughs) Ignoring a feeling has never made it go away. Oh, but you can keep trying. But you can keep trying and make yourself physically ill in the process. Hell yeah, you can. The body keeps the score, baby. Why don't we move on to some segments? since it seems like a good time in the show to do it. Layton, unless you have other things you wanted to ask specifically. If I went on that, this episode would be six hours, so. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, guys. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah. No, I'm going to harass you after this. (laughs) Uh, Our first segment is our pop culture recommendation segment. This is where you get to talk about a book, a movie, a video game, any kind of culture, high or low, that you've been enjoying recently. It's called What's Poppin'. And the theme song gets inserted in post, so you will not hear it, but it goes here. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Great. So, Bose, I'm going to ask you the question I like to ask all of our guests, which is, if you had heard that theme song, (laughs) what would you have thought about it? Um... I would have thought that it was really good, really light, airy. I loved the trumpet accent at the Mm -hmm. end and the Spanish guitar was really sending me. I wish that part was a little bit longer, but I enjoyed it. I can extend that in the remix. Yeah, great. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Perfect With Santana? Yeah, that's right. I'll I'll call up Carlos and see if he's available. We're we're doing a little little thing later, so I'll just see if he can hang out for five afterwards. Yeah. Layton, what's popping? What's popping for me, other than I finished season one of The Wire and I love Mm -hmm. it. And I did a hopscotch from The Wire because Vernon told me that Dominic West, the guy who plays McNulty, McNulty. is actually British and I didn't know. I thought he was Irish. Or Irish. He's not American. Okay. But the thing that's popping for me is the Architectural Digest YouTube channel where they just Uh like go to famous people's houses and do the tour. I'm so fucking nosy. I love interior design. So I just love that. But there's one where Dominic West and his wife are going through his wife's ancestral fucking castle. Oh my God. (laughs) Turns out McNulty is living the cottage core dream. Is he really? Yeah. I highly recommend it. It's so great because like his wife is talking about like, yes, it's been here for generations and every generation has like, it's in a state. It's oh. a whole estate. By the way, you were correct. He's English, not Irish. Got him. And then also I watched Seth Rogen going through his houseplant headquarters and it's just nice <laughs> See, seeing him talk about like ceramics and his enthusiasm for vintage ashtrays. It's adorable. Like, I love it. So Architectural Digest for fellow nosy fucks. Hmm. Great. Brian, what's poppin'? Uh, what's poppin' for me this week? This is possibly the most me what's poppin' I've ever had. It is the album 
Fruitcake by the band Fruitcake, which is from 1983, and it is a Dutch progressive disco jazz ensemble. I'm going to play you the first track off this album called My Feet Won't Move, just so you can get a taste of the sound. By the way, the album cover is like a minimalist kind of very Scandinavian looking It very much is. Look at thing. that. And here's what it sounds like. So, yeah, in the grand tradition of weird Scandinavian jazz, <coughs> this is definitely up there. It was introduced to me by Commander Meowch of Twerp. My next question was which Twerp member, re- member recommended <laughs> this to you? Yeah, well, it was, it was Meowch, and it's great. I've been playing it all week. They have a few albums. Apparently, he was telling me very little is known about these guys, like who exactly they are, what their deal is. They released, I think, four albums and then we're never heard from again, but it's really fun, like hyper well-produced and performed stuff. And it's got that great, like early eighties kind of disco-y sort of aesthetic. Mm, love it. So that's what it is for me. Bose, what's happened for you? I'm going to give a little, little music one here. Oh, actually real quick. One, I watched the Netflix documentary Stuts, the Jonah Hill one, where he interviews his therapist. What? I don't know about this. Yeah, pretty interesting concept. I guess he got a lot of help from his therapist and he was like, dude, I need to make a movie on you. Huh. And it's pretty interesting. He talks about just a lot of the concepts that he fed Jonah to get through his life and they're now sharing them with lots of people. I liked that. Wow. And it's honestly very listenable too. Like if it's something you want to watch in the background. Is it a series or is it like a, a movie? Just one. Just one. Okay. Yeah. Okay, now this is going to be a weird one. This is going to be for the viewers, probably. I know you guys aren't going to fall in this bucket, but I was a big, like, corn fan growing up. And you guys know, recently, Marilyn Manson has been very canceled. And I think they might identify as they. They uh, came up, and their name is Kim Dracula. And they do the most... Interesting. I'm like, what is going on? And for a minute, I was like, I don't like this. And then I was like, but I don't like it because it sounds like if corn, red hot chili peppers and Marilyn Manson like had a baby. And then the more I listen to it, I'm like, this is what it sounds like when somebody who grew up listening to the music that I listen to gets budget behind their stuff and makes uh-huh. a lot more. And they put out this song called uh, Make Me Famous, which is about people that murder people and get famous off of it. And it's something I'm very angry about all the time. And like, you know, they're criticizing that. Um, So I appreciated that. And then they put out another single two weeks ago that I was like, you know what? Count me in. So Uh Kim Dracula is popping for me this week. I love it. There is truly nothing better than the, oh, I have a budget now and I'm going to do this shit that's been filtered through my brain that I'm now absorbing the aesthetic of the stuff I grew up with and was very formative to me. Only I'm doing my own spin on it and I can, you know, dial up the production on it. I love it when that happens. Me too. And the other thing I thought was really interesting is they're playing to the ADHD nation where every song they put out, the genre changes like every 20 seconds. And it's so fascinating because it's, you know, the people that have horrible ADHD, like we don't get tired listening to it. We're like, whoa, what's going to happen next? And good, more power yeah. to them. I like it. Hell yeah. This is something we try to do with Ninja Sex Party too, is we don't want to stay in any one genre. I get bored 
of that. And it's just like, it's not changing a lot in the songs much, but song to song, it's like, okay, we're going to do a disco thing. And now here's like a piano ballad. And now here, you know, now here's a a different thing. Like to me, that's just so much more interesting than someone who just leans into the same thing over and over, which of course also can be very effective and cool. But yeah, I love artists that try a bunch of different genres on. Super great. It's fun. Amazing. All right, so it's time for our final segment, which is three parts gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing. And the theme song goes right here. And that was the theme song. We will each start with one lemon, which is a minor little annoying bummer thing. God, I'm fucking crushing it today. Yeah. Uh, Uh, I can go first. Do it. Okay. I'm working on a thing right now. I'm writing puzzles for an event, which I will not describe what it is. But I think I have 12 different email threads, a Slack channel, and a Discord all devoted to the same fucking thing. And every communication has some different subset of people on it, many of whom I don't even know who they are. And... There's not a lot going on with this that merits so much over-communication about the same thing. And (laughs) it's one of those projects where I'm like, guys, can we please just have like one email thread where we like reply to it about the thing we're doing? But no, someone has to start a new one where they take this person off and add this person on. Only actually it's a different account from this person because they didn't want to use that other account. And okay, this account actually is under a pseudonym. So who is that person? Um, I'm actually, stressed you know out what? just hearing this. Now, yeah. now actually we're going to move this to Slack, uh, but we're going to add a few different Slack channels. Uh, get on the Discord, which by the way, isn't just joining a Discord. There's like some stuff you have to do when you join it. But then there's a private channel on the Discord that I also have to be added on. And oh, not everybody on the Slack is on the Discord and not everybody on the Discord is on the Slack. So actually we're going to do it by, it is the most relentlessly confusing thing. And <laughs> everybody is doing it in the middle of other projects and all over the world. And it's like, guys, please just, Workflow, please. Workflow. It, it exists <laughs> for a reason. So, yeah. It's getting done and it's really fun, but it's like, whew. I'm constantly texting the main person behind it to be like, you know, who is Tawny Pirate? Like, do, <laughs> do, do I know, know that person? Like, yeah, that kind of thing. So... I love when you end up in a group chat type situation and then there's like one or two usernames or numbers that you don't know. And then it gets to a period of time where it feels kind of unacceptable that you haven't copped to like, who are they? And so you're oh, just f- kind of like, all right, don't know who those people are, but okay. I'm living in a world in which I will never know who this person is. And of course, <laughs> that's exactly the person you're going to meet, you know, eight months from now. And they'll be like, oh my God, it was so fun working on that thing. And you're like, uh, oh yeah, yes, it was. So that's my lemon. It's a good one. Thank you. My lemon is that I wish I didn't have the option to track packages because I think I just do the oh. Scott Pilgrim sit in front of the door and wait for it thing. Yes, I do the same. <laughs> I overtrack. Being able to see it. And it's like, I know it's not supposed to get here until Thursday, but I'll still be there on Tuesday. Like, all right, it says it's pending. Like, pending. Oh, pending. I've had a thing stuck in pending for the past couple of days. And oh, no. Oh, and then Just, every once in a while you get the delivered and you don't have it. And you're like, yeah. when it's been pending for a week and you're like, what the fuck happened with this thing? 
You know? Yeah. Yes. I'm waiting on some jeans that fit so I can stop wearing sweatpants every second of my life. <laughs> not that I, not that I want to stop doing that, but I feel a need to. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my stupid lemon. Bose, do you have a lemon? <sighs> my lemon is. <laughs> The Casey Anthony documentary coming out on Peacock this week. And anytime I see people on social media that fall for it, I get so disappointed. <laughs> I'm getting very stressed out. Like we lost Rosie O'Donnell this week. She thinks that Casey Anthony didn't do it. And I just like, I don't oh, is, know. Is the documentary like a pro Casey Anthony? They, thing? Casey Anthony was not convicted of murdering her child uh, about 10 years ago or so. And that's because Jose Bias was a great attorney. It's very murky, but she got acquitted, like ended there. 10 years later, somebody from Peacock let her basically gaslight the entire public while she tries to like save her image. And The documentary has horrible reviews. It's got like a three out of 10. A lot of people are like upset with her, but just anytime I see those little pockets of society that are like, you know, we should really like, I don't know. It's driving me nuts. So I kind of try to look away. Is she still blaming George? Yes, more now more than ever. But I'm a big fan of like, I try to let people have their own opinions. And I'm just like, you know what? There's so much more to talk about. Maybe we disagree on this. Let's change the subject. But I feel it, Brian. I feel it I was just going to say, (laughs) imagine watching an hour long thing and being like, you know what I am? An expert now. And and it's like- Yep. I guess, well, and there's also, I feel like this was so apparent with the herd depth trial, which I watched every single day of. Sorry, I I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's a little known case. Nobody was really talking about it. But the difference between watching it day in and out and then what people who had not watched it were saying, it was like, you're killing me. You're killing me. And you know what? I've come to accept that they have a particular lens that they refuse to put down. And I'm like, that is your lens. And I realize I'm not fighting with you over the details of what happened, what's in court documents, no matter what case it is. I'm fighting with your lens and your perspective on life, which I find to be incredibly exhausting. Well, you can't win. (laughs) Yeah, you can. Like, if that's going to change, it's not because of one conversation. That's right. It's something that happens gradually over many years, right? Yes. I, and I have, I've come to accept that. <laughs> yeah, there's just something so particularly infuriating of the, like, sort of Nick Offer and Parks and Rec. Like, I know more than you. It's like, I have been living and breathing this shit. <laughs> this goes for anything, not just trials, but it's just like, I am up to my neck in this. And you are yep. d- talking out of your ass, but I'm too nice of a person to, like, you know, oh, yeah. into shit on the Parenting. internet. I'm an adult woman who pays taxes. I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, anyway, you get, it. you get it. It's just like, I can feel it right here. <laughs> My yeah. eight-year-old asked me the other day after doing a multiplication problem correctly, she went, Daddy, am I the best person in the world at doing math? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, imagine this, having this kind of confidence to be uh, like, I did one thing well. God, I must be the best <laughs> in the world at this. I'm and when, when you're it. eight, yeah, when you're eight, of course, it's cute. When you're 28, it's a lot less cute. It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I love the confidence. Yeah, and unfortunately, there are a ton of 28-year-olds in certain industries who never grew out of that. Right. Anyway, peach time. I'm going to go first because one of my peaches is incredibly embarrassing and I just need to get it out there. Oh, great. Okay. Based off what, you know, we talked about in the previous episode where we talked to Sarah Zed, who was wonderful, I was a big Homestuck fan for a long time and Mm -hmm. I never finished it. And last night, I sat down and I finished Homestuck. Wow, Layton. I know. And I was deeply emotional about it, man. My endgame ship is canon. And I haven't touched it since I was like 14 or 16 or something like that. And so to come back after all that time... It's been 10 years, basically, since you really like were into it. Yeah, yeah. Straight up. And uh, it was very emotional and I'm thinking about it in the years 2022 and I'm probably going to draw some Homestuck fan art because fuck it. That's great. (laughs) I'm cringe and I'm free. When did that come out? When did it end? Like how long ago? Like six years ago. Okay. There's like Homestuck 2 and a whole like clusterfuck of additional content. But just having Dave Strider, who is in my top five favorite characters ever from any piece of media, not only be like, I don't know how to tell my friends that I'm bisexual, and also being like, actually, my childhood with my guardian was abusive and horribly fucked up, and I'm only just now dealing with it. And, you know, (laughs) I feel like I don't have to feel like a rotten person anymore. It was just like king, king shit. I can't believe I'm this excited over Homestuck in 2022, but fuck it. (laughs) But here we are. Yeah, but here we are. Somebody in the Discord said it is both super surprising and not surprising at all that Layden was into Homestuck. (laughs) I I was on Tumblr in the 2010s, okay? As we all were. As we all were. My second peach is that I got a pair of sweatpants from Killstar, which are amazing. They're like a really soft, velvety material. But so often when you get something where it's like really soft on the outside, on the inside, they skimp on it like it's a trick. Even the pockets (laughs) of these sweatpants are the soft material. So I just want to do fat shout out to that because my hands are (laughs) toasty warm right now. My last peach is that over the weekend, I did some journaling. And by some journaling, I mean, I wrote, and this is not even remotely an exaggeration, just shy of 20,000 words. Jesus which Christ. Is oh my God. Wow. The most I have ever written it, like even during hypomania, I can get up to 8K in a day, not 10K two days in a row. So wow. yeah, my therapist, I'm going to smack him in the face <laughs> with a novel next week. Here right. are some excerpts. <laughs> Dear Diary, another great recording session with Brian. Boy, can that guy (laughs) podcast. Yeah, this was more all caps, bold italics, rage. So that's exciting. Getting it out, though. That's healthy. We love it. Yeah, see, constructive usage of anger. Anyway, that's my peaches. Dave Katz canon, everybody. And you love to see it. I can go next. Uh, peach number one is this morning we had we had our you know periodic parent teacher conference with Audrey's third grade teacher, and we heard what we knew, which is that we have a wonderful kid who's really kind and is just the best. Excellent. It was fun to hear her teachers be like, like I, I know she's doing well academically. But they were like, she's so nice to the other kids. She's a real sweetheart of a, of a child and she's empathetic and, you know, all the stuff that we know, but then we get to hear about it confirmed in, in school. Actualized. Yes. It's fun to, to talk to the teachers and be like, well, also with a little kid, it's like, here's what we hear. What do you see? You know, 
And it was pretty much what we heard. So it was great. She's at a great little school and I, I really like her teachers. Similarly, this is equally exciting. I bought a pencil sharpener. This is peach number two. Ooh. And for whatever reason, I have, this is my little detached garage office here. I have pencils, but no pencil sharpener. And so every time I wanted to sharpen a pencil, I got to walk into the house. It's a huge issue. So I bought a $10 pencil sharpener for the garage. Electric or manual? Uh, electric. And it's great. Can you give us a sample? Uh, of what it's... Yeah, in fact, it's it, it, it's a USB charging pencil oh, whoa, sharpener. Shit. Hell yeah, I'm going to bring it over. I don't think I've used an analog, an acoustic pencil in years. I'm a, I'm a mechanical I pencil. I know, me either, person. dude. Here it is. Let's see. Can I tell you what brand it is? It's a... You know what? Sure. I'll, I'll buzz market this because I like it. It is a Jarlink brand pencil sharpener. And this is what it sounds like when it sharpens a pencil. Oh, I guess it has to be plugged in. <laughs> well, well, I never unplugged it and tried to sharpen I mean, it before. We, we believe you. <laughs> yeah. But it does great. I thought it charged, but I guess not. It's new. What can I say? It's great. Anyway, it successfully takes dull pencils and makes them right. Since we can't hear it, could you give us your closest verbal approximation of the sound that it makes? Yeah, it's it's onomatopoeia, so it goes sharp and 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 sharp. That'd be great yeah. if it really did, though. That'd be awesome. Yeah, wouldn't it? it so it has a noise canceling thing, right, where it drowns out the set the of sharpening and spits out somebody going sharp and sharp and sharp. And uh, my final peach is that I am not traveling for the holidays, and I'm very happy about it. Ooh. We get to stay at home. You know, we were touring this year with the band and I was on the road for the better part of three months. And it is nice to just be home, not going anywhere. Chill here. Love that. Those are my peaches. Yeah. Both. Love that. Love it. My peaches. One, lately I've been really feeling the love and the joy in my relationship. Like we celebrated our anniversary and there's some oh, nights nice. where... Yeah, I'm just like doing a little meal prep. We're making dinner. We're hanging out with the pets. We've got a cat and a dog. It's just me and him. And our house is done. And it's so cozy. It's clean. It's nice. It's happy. And I'm really enjoying those feelings because I don't have to do something crazy to go get that like same joy and happiness. It's right here at home. So it sounds corny, but it's such a great feeling. No, that's the dream. Yes. Truly. And then uh, two, you know, I've always had a little, I always had a little PTSD around Christmas and I started working on that a little more in therapy lately. And one huge thing we decided was I need to just go do a Christmas for myself with no obligation, no nothing, yes. like fuck everybody. So I booked a trip out into the mountains by myself. Oh, I have nice. booked a sleigh ride with elks um, <laughs> and they will be, yes, on Christmas Eve, I will be I in the back it. of a sleigh with a blanket and some just hot you. chocolate. Yep, just me. And awesome. some elks will be pulling me through Wyoming and I'm so excited. That's great. And then, oh, this is my favorite part. I booked a dinner early at the restaurant inside the resort. I got a Christmas reservation. So when I saw that reservation, it was like December 25th at this time, I just felt I don't know why. It just made me very, very happy. It was great. That rules. And three, uh, my other thing that I'm grateful, happy about is my little business that I told you guys about is just coming along so swimmingly. And like, I'm just hearing feedback from people like, wow, this is a hole in the market. And then like the psychologists and stuff wanting to join in and feeling like it's going to make a difference. 
is just very exciting. Like some of the marketing plans we have are very unique. We've been doing like competitor analysis between, you know, our competitors and it looks like a slam dunk. So cross your fingers for me, boys. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good week. It's a really good week. Isn't That's it? That's awesome. What a fun Christmas idea. Just yeah. go off by yourself, do your thing <laughs> and, you know, up in the mountains. Awesome. Yeah. They also had a dog sledding tours, but I was like, is this like bad? It sounds <laughs> sick, but I was like, is the internet going to get mad about this? <laughs> yeah. I feel like I would want to do a reverse dog sled where it's me doing like a whole pack of chihuahuas. That's and a great I, idea. I'm just like, are you guys having fun? I'm running as fast <laughs> well, as I can. What you'd want is a pack of Leighton's pulling one chihuahua. Love it. Right. I think the concentrated anxiety in a single pack of Leighton's would be detrimental to the sledding process. What's the collective noun for a group of Leighton's? A, a Leighton. It's like moose. A Leighton of Leighton's. A Leighton of Leighton's. A Leighton of Leighton's. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why not? Perfect. <laughs> I don't have the comedy bone to do that right now. It's pretty good. But I do have the podcast. No, I was going to say podcasting bone, but. Podcasting bone. Sure. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> Bose, we've been looking forward to this so much. Yeah, this we was really so have. fun. Sorry for letting you guys down. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was the best. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, this was yeah, awesome. Yeah, this was amazing. And Thank people you. at home who are listening, if you haven't watched Bose's videos, I highly recommend you go do that, especially if you like psychology, people, funny stuff, true crime. Like, if you like listening to this show, this is your zone. And if people want to find you and check out what you're doing, where yeah. can they do that? I'm Bose versus the world on YouTube, or I just started a second channel with more kind of like true crime, just insanity that's going on. It's called Bose, but shorter. We go through a triptych of like three news stories of the month. Like woman sets boyfriend's house on fire because another woman answered the phone. Like things that just make me lose my ever loving mind. I'm also on Twitch and Instagram as Big Boss Bose. I would like to say that name started out as a joke. And I just never changed it. <laughs> Quick explanation of this. I got it when I started working at Smosh and they were like, you need to have the same name across all socials. And I was in an entry level position and I'm four foot 11. So I came up with the name Big Boss Bose because uh -huh. it was supposed to be the opposite. But now I like run two corporations. <laughs> and so people think it's like legitimate. And I'm like, I, it's not, it was a joke. <laughs> it's I embarrassing. It. Uh, I don't, awesome. This is either worse or better, depending on how you look at it. But I assumed like a boss in like a video game. So it's like, oh, I'm the big boss pose. Like, yeah. yes. And you know what? My other League of Legends team was like final boss Bozy. So like it had those oh, that's vibes. Nice. That's yeah. where it kind of came okay. from. So, yeah. Cool. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, guys. This has been super fun. And Brian, I'm yeah, glad you really got been to, awesome. you know, our secret connection. <laughs> yes, I love it. I've, I'm going to tell Danny and our manager, Brent, all about it. Uh, it's going to be it's, it. it's awesome. Thank you for telling me that. Yes. So funny. Yeah. <laughs> I never know how to end this show. Bose, well, luckily, we're only at episode 146, so it makes sense. <laughs> okay. We're in our I, infancy, you know. But Bose, yeah. if you have anything pithy or just parting words to the audience. Uh, uh, mind your anger, folks. Da -da 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 -da. Bye. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonNight at gmail.com. 